You're live with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here. I'm uh, pretty excited. I've been able to uh, attend a really cool conference in New York City. It's Amazon uh, Web Services Summit, and it's all around uh, artificial intelligence and uh, generative uh, AI. And on today's program, we're going to go through some of the stories that I've come across and how it's being used and everything from healthcare to helping people play baseball better. We've got a really uh, great guest right now. His name is Sean Nandy. He is the Director of Technology for Amazon uh, Web services and i want to appreciate you coming on the program yeah mike and thank you for coming out to new york we're happy to have you uh, yeah it wasn't a hard <laughs> hard, <laughs> hard sell it's i haven't been here for uh, you know over a year so i'm excited to to get back and um this is an interesting conference uh i, I just yeah i didn't understand there's so many <laughs> people is it like thirty thousand people that have signed up for this wow i don't even know the exact that's what count, they told me it's, yeah it's pretty the hallways are pretty full yeah and what's exciting about uh this summit is it brings together every type of person like we have builders we have executives we have product folks it sort of touches all kinds of different layers and folks from startups and folks from enterprises so it's yeah it's pretty interesting pretty democratizing so i just want to kind of lay a, a base level for the listeners out there you know i've talked a lot about ai in the past and they keep hearing generative ai uh, you know, there's these uh, text-to-image engines like Stable Diffusion, MidJourney. A lot of people are familiar with, uh, you know, the chat GPTs of the world where they can type in, you know, write me an essay about uh, Jacques Carchet, you know, up in Canada, and it just pumps, pumps it out. But just maybe at a base level, I just want to hear your words. What is generative AI? Yeah, what? at the most simple level, and you gave some of the best examples, it's artificial intelligence that generates outputs. Whether it's taking a set of prompts and generating images or generating stories or generating text, it's creating something from a bunch of data. And it takes really minimal effort from the user, or in, in some cases maybe a product, to get those outputs back. And it feels really game-changing when you think about content creation. You think of some of the early releases you've seen out there uh, from different companies like on image creation where instead of sort of manually trying to color some lines in on a street, you could just say, create you know road lines and it appears on the image so it's going to be it feels pretty magical but there's obviously a lot of technology behind it a lot of thought behind it so for the listeners like you know obviously data's got to go into these things like where are they getting their data from yeah. like you know when you look at like you guys have titan i believe and there's chat gpt there's tons of other ones like where is it coming from yeah there's there's a bunch of layers and and the first one is we talk about this thing we call them foundational models or large language models and these models have captured a bunch of data for the, uh, the, the model to sort of uh, think on, on your behalf, hopefully. And where you source that data depends on the company that built the model. Yeah. So one of the things we worry about in the industry is are you capturing the data from reliable sources? How are you cross-checking the data? Is it your data to capture? Who does it belong to? A lot of challenges early in the space on, on intellectual property rights. And you'll see uh, some of the enterprises who are launching products, they think really carefully about training it with their data. Uh, but the most common data set, most of these models use, they have some version of a copy of the internet as a baseline. So they're scraping it off the internet. It, it does vary based on company and model, but yes, a lot of the data will come from the internet, from generally available data that's out there, or from uh, data sets they've purchased. Perhaps they've purchased rights to news articles historically, or they've purchased you know rights to images, <laughs> or they didn't purchase those, those rights. You know, and that's one of that's one of the features we give you if you're working with us. We're going to be very thoughtful if we provide you a model about where that data came from. Yeah, it's it's funny because you know some people are worried about AI taking over the world, and you know with all these you know artists now suing like for example OpenAI because they feel that they're 
content was ingested without their permission. It's the lawyers that are going to save us. Is that? (laughs) (laughs) We'll we'll see. We'll see. Luckily, I am not the lawyer, so I don't have to think about those pieces. But I I do get to to make sure, help our teams make sure that when we work with companies who are using our models, that we've thought about security and guardrails and really approve them. And one of the things we're sharing with these companies are what we're calling uh, cards of information that tell them where the data from each model was sourced from. So when they work with one of the models that we're providing them, they know where all that data came from, and there's not sort of risk to them. Okay, and it's kind of vetted for accuracy, I, I guess. You know, we... we as well, best you can. Yeah, well, what you start with, and this, this comes back to the use case you want to use the model for, right? You'll see one of the philosophies AWS has been working with companies on is offering them choice, which is to say you can actually have different model options for different use cases. You know, there's a model, uh, you mentioned, I think, stable diffusion, stability, AI. You know, they have models that are great for image processing. There are other models that are great for tech, tech, uh, text processing. Anthropic uh, makes a set of models, uh, and then Jurassic makes their A121 model, which is well known for working with many different languages. Okay. And so I think one of the emerging trends is people are like, oh, will there be some model that will answer every question that I have? Maybe, but it's more likely that you'll have a curated model that's targeted to the use case that's being worked on. So they'll be, you will have more specialized models, I guess, is what I you're... think that's, that's likely. We yeah. certainly see companies experimenting with that. And some of the products that we've been launching here allow companies to work with a platform layer that gives them access to many different models so they can pick and choose which curated model they want to use for which problem they're solving. Yeah, it's interesting because, um, you know, a lot of people are using ChatGPT for medical questions and stuff now. Like it's like Doctor ChatGPT or, or something. But like one of the companies uh, that you know we'll be talking about in the program today, I believe it's Hippocratic AI. Uh, their large language model. They're you know making sure that any of the data that they're ingesting from a medical perspective is from like peer-reviewed sources. There's actually doctors and you know the appropriate medical professionals that are actually kind of vetting the information going into the large language model, if that makes sense. And they've, you know, from the stats I've seen, it, you know, it makes it more accurate, like, than the chat GPTs, the general ones of the world. Yeah, you know, you're you're touching on a pretty fundamental point, which is, you know, if you train across a broad data set, it gives you lots of good information mixed in with some not so good information. Yeah. And it's just like a human who's surfing the internet looking for information. If you go to the right, you know, curated website, maybe you get a great answer, Maybe you're missing some context. And so having the right data trained reduces what we call hallucinations. Hallucinations are basically when a model spits an answer out that just doesn't make any sense to you, right? Like you ask it a question about who won the 2024 election. Well, obviously there's no answer. Uh, A poorly trained model, instead of saying no one's won the election, might say person X won the election. You're like, that's clearly wrong. So, you know, it's important to constrain these models to make sure they're targeted to a specific set of questions that they are trained to understand. Now, one of the things we released uh, today, we announced today, sorry, I should say, is what we call agents. And we're super excited because as corporations have started using these models, they're running into some interesting uh, realizations. Like, let's say I'm a a financial company and I want to enable a model to help my financial advisors get quick information from my customers, like, you know, recommendations. So they want a recommendation for you, Mike, around where your investment should go. Yeah, like a financial plan. Yeah, and, and so to build that financial plan, if you asked a large amount language model, it'd probably be a pretty good recommendation, but it wouldn't know what had happened in the market in the last six months. And it wouldn't months. know my situation. It definitely wouldn't know your situation. It also wouldn't know, let's say your money's with, you know, a uh, financial company, Acme Inc. Yeah. It wouldn't know what Acme Inc.'s products were. So it might say, my financial plan 
is based on a generic bike, not you, based on products everyone offers and based on you know the market conditions nine months ago. The, what the agents allow us to do is to have companies connect to their own data sources. So you can connect to your product listings and that gets fed into the model. You can connect to current market conditions, that gets fed into the model. And you can connect, if they allow it, to Mike's data. If Mike has said, yes, that's okay. Yeah. And now your financial plan is suddenly super customized to you. So these, what seems like magic answers actually become magic because they're now personalized. Yeah. And that's a super exciting set of announcements. Yeah, I, I guess uh, from what I remember, they call like um, those that generic information that's being spit out, like the um, the capability gap. You know what I mean? Like it, it only knows what it knows. That's like, right. And with these agents you're talking about that are like going out to like real time or almost real time sources of information, like the latest economic conditions, my own financial uh, stuff, then you get much deeper, accurate information. Exactly. It's narrowing the capability gap. And, and the more data and the more constraints and the more specificity, the more accurate and reliable your answers are going to be. And potentially faster, right? I mean, speed matters. People are sitting there waiting. They don't want to be sort of hanging out. They want to get an answer quickly. Yeah. So I think that's going to be exciting. It's I, I use the financial services example, but you could see that in a broad set of examples. Hey, what's the best cabin on this cruise ship? Well, it would be great if it had access to the specific maps for that cruise line ships and the reviews and the current data and the renovation yeah. status. So how do you bring all that in without maybe the complexity of building a custom model? Yeah. Agents bridge that capability gap. So obviously businesses really want to take advantage of artificial intelligence because it you know, definitely speeds uh, you know, the information gathering up. Uh, hopefully can help with accuracy uh, as well and save save money. But, you know, for just the regular person listening out there, what are some of the concerns they should have, you know, with businesses? I, I think for the regular person, you just want to make sure that businesses are using your data the right way, that you're opting into things. And, you know, that's one of the things we work hard on. When we've built our services for these companies, we've built them with uh, enterprises in mind. So we have to think about things like security, right? They're not... These aren't probably free services that you're just getting and, and someone's trying to you know, sort of manage them off your data. And that means we've built our services from scratch, thinking about security, thinking about compliance, thinking about data integrity. You want to make sure that, yeah, you want to make sure your information is being handled the right way. Yeah, it's going to be uh, interesting. And, you know, for the listeners out there, you, you got to stay tuned because we're going to go through some different stories of how it's being used uh, in healthcare, for example. Uh, you know, when you visit the doctor and, you know, he's obviously taking notes, uh, there's a new service uh, that we'll be chatting about, HealthScribe. HealthScribe, yeah, yeah, super exciting. And uh, basically, it uh, will be listening while you're talking to your doctor, with your permission, of course, and transcribe the entire thing. Uh, so it saves the doctor uh, a ton of time so that he can spend more time with you. Yeah, if you think about the typical approach, and I know you're going to go into more detail on this, but the typical approach today is a doctor or a nurse is walking around the tape recorder. And at the end of the day, they spend an hour. Well, at the end of their shift, when they're exhausted and want to go home and want to go to bed, and maybe had a good day, maybe had a rough day, trying to write all those notes down. But people don't realize that they have to do, like their doctors have to do that, right? They do. I mean, because yeah. you have to know what, you can't, you can't miss-forget something. Yeah. And, and so the idea of a, a scribe that takes that information from that tape recorder just automatically sort of annotates it for you and writes it down, it'll save the doctor a bunch of time or the nurse. It'll probably increase accuracy, honestly. Less likely you're going to miss it. And it'll try to find some quick summarized insights because, you know, I think you probably saw the great demo uh, that they showed. But 
you often don't answer a question perfectly succinctly when you're speaking. It gets answered in stages. And why not have the AI stitch those pieces together? Yeah. So I think that'll be game-changing, and, and companies are going to use that and bake that into their products. been talking with Sean Nandy. He is the Director of Technology for Amazon Web Services. Uh, we are going to be talking a lot about AI on today's program and just uh, showing you how it's being used in different places now, everything from sports to healthcare and so much more. You are listening to Get Connected here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You are back with the program. Mike Agarbo here in studio. Uh, I've got a great guest with me now. Uh, he's uh, another fellow journalist that uh, has been here in New York uh, with me covering the Amazon uh, Web Services uh, event. Uh, again, all about uh, AI. Jerry Zeidenberg, thanks uh, for joining us today. Uh, just quickly, you, you uh, cover health technology. Tell us about uh, your, uh, your online news magazine and e-newsletter. And e yeah, we've been publishing Canadian healthcare technology for over 25 years now. And it uh, looks at the use of technology, primarily information technology computers in hospitals and doctors' offices across the country. And in addition to that, we also have a uh, weekly newsletter that looks at uh, breaking news. So we try and get the news out. Well, Jerry, uh, you you were uh, at a lot of uh, the uh, the different uh, speaking events as I was. One that was uh, interesting with uh, a, a technology called Health Scribe uh, that Amazon has uh, basically come up with, and I think they're partnering with uh, 3M. Uh, and what was interesting about this is that um, if I could describe it, and, and maybe you could help me with this, it's kind of like a, a transcription, an AI transcription service for uh, medical professionals, for doctors. So. Uh, just kind of imagine this, uh, you know, the next time you go to your doctor, and of course, with your permission, your conversation is being recorded. And at the end of that conversation, artificial intelligence basically is going to put together uh, kind of the the, the transcript of uh, what transpired. Uh, it knows uh, that uh, you're one person, uh, the doctor is uh, another, and if you've got maybe a, a parent or a child there as well, it's able to actually differentiate uh, between all of them. But I guess the idea is that it saves the doctor time uh, as far as uh, you know compiling the notes at the end of uh, 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 the appointment. Am I kind of uh, hitting uh, hitting? Yes, that? you're you're right on target. Uh, this is addressing a really big problem for doctors uh and uh what's what's really happened uh not only is their patient load increased and in, yep uh since since covid especially but um their paperwork is increasing every it seems uh, all kinds of agencies want reports from doctors and they're spending more and more time filing papers and What's happening, in fact, is they're taking this work home with them. And every night, they're doing what's called pajama time. They're uh, trying to catch up with the day's work uh, at night instead of seeing spending time with family and friends. They're trying to catch up with all of this uh, documentation. So it's leading to stress and burnout for doctors uh, of all kinds family doctors, uh, specialists. And what this is doing is automatically charting the, uh, the uh, encounter between patient and, and doctor. So it's uh, recording a lot of what happened 
because it understands it can take that conversation and it has uh, not only does it understand regular English, it understands the medical vocabulary so it can summarize uh, uh, what's what's happened and uh, pick up on uh, uh, whatever the doctor says in terms of a uh, specific medical problem. So it, it's uh, it's really advanced and, and useful. It's just being rolled out now. So this is uh, just coming out uh, in the fall. Yeah, it's interesting. So it's basically Amazon has helped develop this technology. Uh, you know, it's uh, an AI, I guess, language model. Uh, but partners like 3M are integrating it into their solutions. Um, but Jerry, this is more than just like, a transcription uh, piece of software or, or tool, right? Because there's already that, that technology has been around for years. So um, what what makes it different? Is it just because it knows the medical jargon? Yeah, no, this is a real uh, sea change in technology. Not only does it, it know the jargon, which which as you said, has uh, uh, been underway for years and it, it could understand the jargon before, but... Uh, What's what's different now is uh, it's got incredible language ability. So before, with AI, it took a data scientist really to use it. Now, with this new this new type of AI called generative AI or Gen AI, anyone can use it. It uh, you can talk to it. It's got natural language abilities. So you can ask it a question, and it will it will answer. Uh, in this particular case, it's being used to, to listen and uh, and pick up on conversations, and then we have uh, been talking with Jerry Zeidenberg. Uh, he's a uh, a technology journalist when it comes to uh, healthcare. He's uh, got a uh, a great uh, website. It's uh, the Canadian Healthcare Technology uh, website and uh, e newsletter as well. I want to thank you for joining us today, Jerry. My pleasure. When we come back from the break, still a lot more to talk about uh, when it comes to AI, including ClimaVision, using AI to predict the weather even more accurately, especially in uh, the changing climate conditions that we have here on Earth. Back after this. You are back with the program. Mike Agarbo here. I'm uh, down in New York City or over in New York City uh, at the Amazon Web Services Summit. It's all about the latest and greatest in AI technology. And I've had a chance to really talk with some interesting folks and companies that are using that tech to make the world a better place. And speaking of that, we've got a guest. His name is Chris Good. He's with a company called Climavision. Great to be with you, Mike. Thank you. You're from Kentucky? I am. Louisville, Kentucky. Yes. But you've been up to Vancouver in Canada before? Yeah, I've been fortunate enough in my career to travel uh, to a a wide variety of places, including uh, most every province in Canada. So uh, very familiar with Vancouver and the surrounding area. Well, let's talk about uh, what ClimaVision is all about. Like, when did you guys start and what's your, what's your mission in life? So we're two years old, um, and the company with Bert was birthed out of an aggregate of experiences that I had over my career about 30 years in the weather industry in some form or fashion. I started out as a forecaster in the Air Force, so using data, understanding it, forecasting for a specific application. So you're like the weatherman for the Air Force? One of many. Yes, okay. That's right. And... It was through these experiences that I started to noodle the idea of what we could do differently at Climate Vision and what we could do better. And, and part of what unlocks the potential for a good weather forecast is an observation, all right? Every model that we have that is geared towards better weather forecasting is taking a pool of observations globally, 
takes those observations as best as it can to characterize what's happening now, and then we project into the future. The problem is, is that global observational data set has been incomplete. So what we're doing at Climate Vision at a fundamental level is we're producing new observations to fuel those models. Primarily what we're known for doing at the moment is building a supplemental radar network here in the U.S. to start to fill in gaps between the existing government radars called the NEXRAD network. What a lot of people don't realize, and this will have some applicability in Canada as we'll get to in just a moment, but in the U.S. there's about 160 radars that the government provisions. The further you move away from that radar, the higher the beam of energy that's emitted from that radar, which is scanning the atmosphere, that gets higher and higher into the atmosphere. And when you couple that with the fact that the Earth is not flat, it's curved, it creates these low-level data void areas. So about 60% of the U.S. landmass in the CONUS is completely blind as far as weather radar coverage below 4,700 feet. And there's a lot of impactful weather that happens in those parts of the atmosphere. Is that why the weather forecasts are not always <laughs> that, that accurate? It's a big part of it. Yeah. Uh, that's a challenge, right? So what we're doing is completing the picture as it pertains to weather radar, but we're also bringing in other kind of novel observations to add to that pool that we have globally that are largely provisioned by governments to include Canada, the U.S., of course, Environment Canada, uh, your arm that equates to the National Weather Service here in the U.S. They're active in providing observations as well. But all of this goes to say that a big part of the challenge over several decades has been we had this incomplete picture and that challenged our ability to provide an accurate forecast. Even though we've gotten better, we have to be a lot better because of a changing climate that we're all experiencing. So the radar is measuring what? Cloud cover or like, how's that all work? So the radar is measuring precipitation or hydrometeors, right? And that can come in the form of rain, snow, hail grapple and all sorts of other types of things. So it's just one observational pool, but it's an important one. So when I'm looking, sorry if I try to dumb this down, like the, uh, you know, on the nightly news, the weather guys going over the satellite imagery. Yeah. Um, I can see the clouds coming in, but that's not the full picture. No, it's, that is another type of observation that's also vital and critical. Um, but again, it's incomplete. And when you also start to think about observations over water, I mean, much of the planet is water over oceans. And so there's a lot of gaps in observations there. We're actually partnering with companies that bring in space-based observations from low-Earth orbiting satellites that replicate what a weather balloon would collect. Uh, weather balloons are launched globally at about 800 locations. And when you think about that, that is insufficient um, for the size of the world. The Chinese are good at launching those. <laughs> yeah, I, they, I have heard they have uh, made a pass at some sort of balloon. I'm not exactly sure what that was collecting, but yeah. that's right. So what you're saying, your company is taking all these bits of information to do a more accurate picture. That's right, because the observations is what drive the accuracy of these forecast models. So we assimilate all of this new data, plus all of the government data that's been out there for decades, into our models and that's how we improve the accuracy of what we're able to put. I would have kind of thought they would be doing that already. Is that not the case? Well, we've gone through a bit of a renaissance, really, uh, in the weather industry. Um, we're not the only company that is taking this approach in terms of adding observations, but we are the only company that actually is fueling a supplemental radar network. Um, and again, in the U.S., when we are complete with the rollout, we'll have over 200 radars filling in gaps between the government radars. So are you are physically putting radar? We are. Okay. That's right. Like physical radar stations. Correct. 
Um, we sounds, have all the that, intellectual property. and we, That sounds expensive. Well, it is. And that's yeah. why our seed round was $100 million uh, okay. from TPG. A huge commitment. Um, but this is a physical asset that we're rolling, 200 of them. And there's a lot of connectivity that's required. You can imagine the communications that we have in a place to move this data around. But it's an important data set, for sure. So you're taking all this information from all these different sources and then basically compiling, smushing it all together. Yep, that's right. The, think of it as ingredients to a forecast. Yeah. And we're adding our own ingredients and we're coupling that with the pre-existing sources. So who would your customer be then? Great question, right? So what we're doing, um, we're, we're primarily a B2B play. And any weather-sensitive industry. So for instance, we talk about the energy market. That's a big word for a lot of things these days. The energy transition is a hot topic, not only here in the U.S., but globally. We're all trying to transition to renewable forms of energy, most of which are actually derived from weather. So energy companies, utility companies, companies that are actually looking at rolling out wind farms, solar farms, oh, yeah. to companies, uh, specifically Climate Vision, to better inform their decisions about the locations of those assets and also to understand the consumption and impact on the grid. That's it. I never even thought of that. Like, because we all want to get to solar and, and wind power because those are renewable uh, energy sources. Obviously, get away from fossil fuels. But where you put those things, <laughs> the solar panels and the wind farms, you got to make sure that terribly important. There's wind. That's right. And, and there's sun. The challenge with that is, is, is you would think that you could look to historics to inform that, and to an extent you can. But because we have a changing climate, the reliance yeah. on historics. You just don't have that confidence like you used to. So then the predictive capabilities that we're rolling out become also very important. And I had a question come up earlier today from somebody about, you know, the timing of what we're doing right now. Why hasn't this been done before? I think you even mentioned it too. It's like, why hasn't somebody already undertaken this? And I think there's a confluence of things that have happened. One, the changing climate. So volatility is on the rise. Uh, I know that the past several weeks uh, in Canada, especially in Ontario with these wildfires that have spread. Yeah, you're welcome for all the smoke. Thanks so much. Yeah. Uh, the wind patterns have brought them to the Northeast, as you would know. So yeah. that's on the rise. And people need to prepare for that. Now, we can't change what's happening with the weather, but we can give you better lead time to respond. So that's that's the core part of our mission. So that changing weather is driving a, a premium need for better information. I think number two is the energy transition itself. That's driving a sense of urgency surrounding it because if you're we're trying to speed that transition if you're speeding to wind and you're speeding to solar but those sources aren't going to be available um, with enough volume to support the grids then you have a situation where there's vulnerability in those grids and i think the third thing is advanced aerial mobility a lot of companies have embraced drones uh, to deliver parcels and those drones all fly at the lowest level of the atmosphere where we have the most acute problem with whether you don't, they don't have the data there. You don't have enough radar in, in the U.S. And I, I imagine uh, that's not a U.S. problem either. Worldwide problem. Yeah. And in fact, in Canada, they're the same problem. And we're looking over time to, to try to work uh, with other countries uh, where the geopolitical winds allow for it to help to fill in those gaps. And certainly in Canada, um, there are several. Um, in several Areas uh, in northern Alberta, near Red Deer and areas, they've started to see an uptick in tornadoes. Um, that wasn't always the case, uh, and that's becoming so more and more... Let's not put the wind farms there? Or? Well, uh, there'll be plenty more. of wind, yeah. but um, <laughs> maybe not tornadic is what we would be looking yeah. for. But 
but but it's interesting you mentioned the drone thing, right? And having the the data for the lower uh, altitudes, which you're saying you don't have enough data. That's because drones are going to become more and more prevalent in everything from deliveries to surveillance for crops and uh, things like that. So yeah. Yeah, and, and even uh, when you look at a lot of companies now that are really moving forward with air taxi services and things like that, again, in order to make that safe and viable, you have to have better weather information, not only now, but also into the future because operations will be greatly impacted. No different than airlines that have been flying for decades now experience from time to time. We've been talking with Chris Good from Climavision down here at the Amazon Web Services uh, Summit in New York. I want to thank you for coming on the program. This has been fascinating. Uh, what's your website that people can get more info? Simple. Climavision.com has a great overview of all the things that we're doing and uh, excited to be here with you, Mike, and tell about our story. When we come back from the break, more tech to talk. Stay tuned. You are back with the program. Mike Agarbo here in New York City at the Amazon Web Services Summit. It's pretty cool. Uh, I'm learning about all the latest uh, advancements in artificial intelligence, uh, everything from uh, healthcare to sports uh, to businesses and finance and how it's all being integrated. We want to look, though, at the responsible use of uh, AI now. I've heard from a lot of listeners uh, about their concerns uh, about how artificial intelligence is being used. They're excited, uh, but, you know, there are some things that we need to think about. To help us understand that, we've got uh, Dia Wynn with us uh, today. She is uh, from Amazon. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. So your job is about AI responsibility or the responsibility of AI? Both of those things, okay. absolutely. Um, I, I, I get the pleasure of working with a number of customers across all industries. If I'm a business and uh, wanting to implement uh, AI, like what are some of the key things that I need to be aware of? One of the first things I would say that you need to be aware of is that you cannot address responsible AI uh, thinking about technology alone. There's no one technology solution that is going to sort of cover, encompass all that you need to be thinking about. The second I would say is that AI is a strategic imperative. It's good for business because what responsible AI does, uh, it helps customers build the right sort of, or help them, help you as a business build the trust uh, in your, from help you build trust with your customers, right? Essentially um, allowing them to have better uh, confidence in the way you're building, the way you're using and what that product or service is going to mean to them. Um, the third is that they got to think about AI and responsible AI being integrated into the way in which they just do business, that it should not be a separate effort that's off on the side, but find ways to integrate and to weave it into just the fabric of the organization so that thinking about AI as a strategy or responsible AI, excuse me, as part of their strategy for AI, and then how we build and what questions we should ask from a product management perspective, all the way down into the things that the team is doing as far as their development and training of the models and then how we're testing and evaluating. Responsible AI should be woven into that entirely. So those would be the, one of the first few things I say in terms of what they could do, but I could probably go through a list of another 15 or so if we had the time. Oh, we got a bit of time, so <laughs> I want to cover some stuff. Okay. One of the things I'm learning at um, this uh, this conference is um, AI has come leaps and bounds, especially with this, these generative um, AI large language models, but they're only as good as the data in input, uh, you know, inputted to them. And what's making them more powerful now is that, you know, 
companies, let's use a financial service company, for example, they're able to actually take uh, data from real world market conditions, maybe your own financial uh, information to build out like personalized financial reports. So I guess for one aspect, like just your overall security and privacy of data is a huge concern, I think, to, to folks. Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, we're generating more data on a daily basis than we ever ha- we ever have. I, I think I saw something that was saying that there's some 120 zettabytes of data being generated on a monthly ba- basis. I mean, we used to talk about terabytes, right? Yeah. And we thought that was big. Now it's zettabytes. So, so there's a lot of data being generated across, you know, industries. I mean, we are generating data, you know, every minute with our smartphones in terms of the kinds of data that is being captured and being used across, you know, all of the apps, et cetera. Uh, data is absolutely a place um, or, or one of the foundations and underpinnings for for AI, but it's also a place where bias and uh, and or, you know, privacy considerations can be can exist. And that's why you know, best practices around, you know, ensuring that you have uh, consent and making sure that the data is used in the ways in which it was intended. And, you know, what what do we do to safeguard and control that data, you know, in certain environments is all all useful best practices that, that companies have to employ. I then, you know, I hear from listeners as well, you know, like companies like yourself, you're working with a whole bunch of different companies, like the Starbucks of the world and, and banks. Like, you know, some people are like, can Amazon look at all that data? But that's not that's not the case because everything is siloed and protected. That's that's correct. So, um, you know, our customers data is is protected in their, you know, environments or what we call like their their VPCs, their own, you know, segment of their network. And that's true when we start looking at our generative products as well. It's I believe one of the, you know, benefits in that we're not creating sort of general purpose or providing a general purpose, you know, application or tool, um, these are, you know, b- products for the enterprise. And so we think about and bring all of our security practices, you know, into play um, with providing these services. So a customer that would look at using Betrock or our Titan models um, are using that in the context of their environment and their data is protected in their, you know, own sort of VPC or, you know, uh, individual uh, network on the cloud. So when it comes to responsible AI, and you're talking with you know businesses all the time, what has been the biggest challenge to overcome? I think one of the biggest challenges is uh, the complexity or the understanding of taking a few steps uh, back or perhaps even um, slowing down a little bit in order to go fast. And what I mean by that is uh, responsible AI takes intentional action. Uh, we, if we're rushing to the draw, uh, then perhaps we're not being intentional about uh, the best practices, uh, the people alignment, the, you know, uh, ensuring that we have the right transparency and security controls in place to to make sure that we're building inclusively and responsibly. And I know everyone is eager and excited because this is the latest thing and they're seeing such opportunity um, with uh, the product that we want to run fast. And I think that if we do and take intentional um, action, it may feel like you are having to slow down a little bit, but but I think it's uh, slowing down enough to put the right structure in place so that you can go fast in terms of the product and, and, and again, building the trust that uh, customers ultimately want 
uh, to see and, and how your product is being built and how it's being used. We're talking with uh, Dia Wynn uh, over at Amazon Web Services about responsible AI. And I got to ask, like, how do, you, how do you get a job as the person responsible for responsible AI? Like, well, I had like, I did you, you know, as a kid, I want to be absolutely. in charge of responsible AI. No, I didn't know that at all. There was no such thing. No. Right. So this is actually a new sort of area of discipline, our focus on responsible AI. And, you know, this is a new sort of roles. We weren't talking about responsible AI leaders or, you know, AI ethicists or anything of that sort a few years ago. But that's a very real job. And uh, fortunate for me is that we have this amazing culture here at Amazon where you can see a need and think big about what's possible. And I wrote a narrative uh, a few years ago and and got support from our senior, our senior leaders in, in professional services to start providing uh, support and assistance to our customers in an area where we had not been uh, previously. We've been you know, doing work in responsible area. There are other teams that were focused. So you on saw us. there was a hole there. But we weren't yet actually providing... Yeah. Uh, guidance. They weren't just customers. looking for someone responsible. Dia, she hasn't got many parking tickets, no. smoke, you know, <laughs> I, she'd probably be pretty good. No, but so, you saw an opportunity. So there. an opportunity yeah. for us to, to step in and provide greater service to our customers and to respond to what we believed was going to be a growing demand and certainly there is. Well, it's kind of cool they listen to you. I know. You know Isn't that amazing? Yeah. But, but I know you got like a cool job. But they do that. Yeah. They actually do. And we have a culture that, that supports that. Think big, write a narrative, get support, and, and here we go. Off to the races. Been talking with Dia Wynn from Amazon Web Services. I want to thank you for coming on the program. Really great chat. Thank you so much for uh, having me, as well as uh, highlighting, you know, the importance of responsible AI. We need more people thinking about it and yeah. talking about it, and then doing it right. Yeah, doing the work. Well, I'm glad you're doing it. If it was me, I would be irresponsible AI. <laughs> like, it would be game over. Uh, thanks again for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. That's all the time we have left for the program. It's been a great uh, week here in New York City. Don't forget to listen to our sister show. The App Show. We'll be uh, going down that AI rabbit hole a little bit more with some really cool tech that uh, I was able to come across, including uh, improving your golf swing using AI with sensors uh, built right into the the golf club, or even baseball for that matter. And uh, we'll be talking about the future of retailing using artificial intelligence, just being able to walk into a store and not have to go through a checkout. The sensors and cameras will record everything for you and just debit your credit card or your debit card. Mike Agarbo signing off. We'll see you again next time.